It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. As the world awaits the Aaron Rodgers saga to finally unfold, if it does finally unfold, we're here to provide much, much more than that. We're going to talk some Bengals free agency. Obviously, though, a big topic for both of us on this podcast is the NCAA tournament. Rick is actually in Birmingham as he is the analyst for Northern Kentucky University games. The Norse will play at 920 Eastern time on Thursday night against the number one seed. And I think my pick to win it all, the Houston Cougars. Um, Rick, I don't really I just want to start specifically with NKU, but I will ask you a question. That's a tall order in the first round. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, but Marcus Sasser has a groin problem, Skinny. Maybe, uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's, that's one of five grown men that's not going to play. <laughs> but they're, they're, they've got plenty of other grown men around them. This is true. Well, let's start with the NCAA tournament in general. As you mentioned, Houston and NKU will play on Thursday night. We've also got a couple of other local teams in the tournament. Of course, Xavier and Kennesaw State, 3 versus 14 game. And Kentucky against Providence, a 6 versus 11 game. Let's start with these local matchups, Skinny. Obviously, the Kentucky-Providence one is the most interesting out of the three in terms of competitiveness. Where do you start with this game? Because this is one, I've said this a few times, talking to Paul Fritchner and uh, other people doing shows this week. I have zero expectations for this game. If you ask me about any other game in the bracket, I'll say, oh, yeah, I kind of like that team, or I think that team's going to blow them out. But if you ask me about Kentucky-Providence right now, I look at you and I go, I have no idea what's going to happen in that game. Absolutely so I, none. I did a segment on Cincy 360 yesterday on Tuesday with our friend Tony Pike. And um, he we talked not only Bengals and free agency, we talked college basketball in the local landscape. And he asked me about Kentucky. I said, well, Tony, if you ask me on, on a Monday, I might have one answer. If you ask me again on a Thursday, I'll probably have a completely different answer. And if you ask me after they play a game on Saturday, I'll have a completely different answer about this team all year. I don't know what to expect. Um you know, they laid the egg in the regular season, uh, home regular season finale to Vandy and lost. And some of that was Vandy was playing pretty well, but still you lost on senior day in Rupp. Then they have no point guards and go to Arkansas and win. And oh, okay. And you're getting Casey Wallace back for the SEC tournament and you're playing the Vandy team that you owe and you lose. I don't know. I've looked at this bracket, Rick, and I, I've done a couple of them. Um, I'm not in bracket pools. I'm in a bunch of different other pools. I know you are too, but I do. I did one on local12.com. We have a bracket contest and I do the ESPN one. So, you know, you can do multiple ones. I've done it from everywhere. I've taken Kentucky all the way to the final four and I've done it where Providence wins this game. I don't know. I wish I could. I mean, we're supposed to have takes, right? I wish I could have one on this game. I don't, you know, I think it really all depends on more Kentucky than it does Providence. If Kentucky, the good Kentucky shows up, they literally can play with anybody in the country. But if the Kentucky that has shown up at different times this year shows up Providence with a Bryce Hopkins, a Kentucky transfer with a chip on his shoulder, um, probably wins this game. So I, I don't know what to expect. I wish I could have a more definitive take on this. I just don't. Well, and it's not just Kentucky skinny. Providence hasn't exactly been the model of consistency down the stretch either. They lost four of their last five games, including yeah. the Big East ter- Conference tournament game. Yeah, the only one thing I would say to that, and you're right, there's no question, because I mean, shoot, it felt like three or four weeks ago, Providence was maybe going to be a five <laughs> or six seed, and here they are an 11. But aside from the Seton Hall smackdown, and I know you can't aside that because it was at home and they got smacked down, you know, two of those losses were to UConn and another one was to Xavier. Right. So I'll give that Good a competition. That. Yeah, but two of them were also home games. They had back to back losses to Xavier and Seton Hall at home, which, yeah, I'm with you. Those are not bad losses per se, but still losing four of your last five to finish off the season doesn't exactly breed a lot of confidence no, in the NCAA tournament. No, you're right. Agreed. But I could also make a case if Providence wins this game, I've seen them up close and personal, as have you. I was there in the Centos Center when they had a three pointer to win it and miss. They've got dudes. For sure. I, I could make a case that they go to the Elite Eight. I mean, no question. Well, and that's it. that's the crazy thing about this game, too. You look at the way the bracket sets up, and I like both of these teams to potentially make a run. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a weird game. It really is. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I keep wanting to come up with something to say about like, well, no, here's why I actually really like Kentucky, or here's why Bryce Hopkins is with that chip on his shoulder and that storyline, province is just going to be too much. But every time I start to get into one of those, I'm like, I just don't really believe that. Well, I mean, and I, 
I would say this, the Kentucky of recent vintage under Cal, just in tournaments in general, isn't very good. Right. I mean, they flamed out of the SEC tournament. He talks about how it's not important to them. You know, last year, they're, they, you talk about a little bit of pressure. I mean, you know, it's not a 215 game, but 6 sixes are usually teams you pencil across the line. You can make it a case for an 11, and they've done it before. It's not, you know, 16 beating one only once in the tournament history. It happens uh, not with great frequency, but with enough frequency. So it's not an earth-shattering upset. But, hey, it is a 6 versus 11. You're the 6. Think about the pressure. This is everybody in the in that locker room's under, including Cal, I think, is is to shut everybody up and keep the narrative to finally stop of, uh-oh, this program is sliding backwards. You lose first-round games back-to-back years is the better favorite. Um, you know, we thought the criticism got bad during the season. It It's going to be so ugly this whole offseason. I don't care what's coming in. I don't care if he's coming back. There's a lot of pressure on everybody in this game because of the recent narrative of the program. There is. It adds a lot to this game, too, and that's another layer to it. I mean, there really is a lot on this first round game. If you think about it, uh, Chris Mack, Jeff Goodman, and John Fanta were doing their field of 68 show the other night. And they were talking about what is the biggest storyline going into the first round. And Goodman brought up the fact, I think Fanta was on his side of, you know, if if Kentucky had been a one or two or three seed, that would be the biggest storyline is watching what John Calipari does in the first round of the NCAA tournament this year, coming off of last year's loss to St. Peter's and all the pressure that he's been facing. And those guys' point was, but since Kentucky underachieved and they're only a six seed, it's not as big of a storyline. And Chris Mack pushed back a little bit on that. And he was saying, look, guys, if Kentucky loses in the first round again this year, it is going to be absolute chaos in this state. He's right. I mean, Chris is closer to it than either one of those guys are. Yeah, he knows very well what it's like <laughs> when the uh, local people get restless about their basketball teams. So, right. uh, it was. I, by, by the way, that was a very interesting show, and Chris Max said a lot of interesting things that well, I know have been going viral this week. So, to give a little plug, because I'm I'm doing a, a show with with Mo Egger, a segment with Mo Egger, Holy Ground at the Banks to, on Thursday uh, morning. But Chris Mack is also going to be there. So, That's, I got replaced by him. Mo said. Is that what I've done that, that right? show the last there, two years? There you go. Yeah. It should have been you. It could have been you. Well, I, I did say that's like, you know, a bit of an upgrade. You're going to go from me to Chris Mack as your guest is pretty good call. I'd say maybe. He, maybe I'll tell you what, Chris is pretty good at this media stuff because he doesn't he care. He's willing no. to say whatever. Right. He has yes. opinions. Yes. I mean, he said Ole Miss shouldn't have hired Chris Beard, that he didn't think that, that was a good decision, that he wouldn't rehire a guy like that. It was I mean, pretty interesting stuff. He has takes. That's for sure. I do like uh, McNeese State hiring Will Wade, and then he gets suspended for five games. It's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. All right, so we t- talked about Kentucky-Providence. Yep. Xavier-Kennesaw State. Skinny, I look at this matchup, and Kennesaw State is a, a great story. They have great completely story. turned that program around. It's awesome what they have done there. But looking at their tape a little bit, preparing for this game, I see a team that should be a 15 or a 16 seed that yeah. just – doesn't have the talent, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is a great story. And and when I was doing some NKU radio myself um, in the fledgling years of Division One, um, it's a great arena to broadcast. Did you get a chance to broadcast the game there? No, because I didn't start until well into the horizon. Okay, yeah. I mean, it was a cool arena, a uh, little bit really, really pretty, nice campus, all those things. But they were horrifyingly bad then. And they were horrifyingly bad as recently as, what, two years ago when they won one basketball game? So it is a great, great story. But Xavier should overwhelm them with talent, period, end of story. Yeah, I just look at it, and there are matchups, I think, if you look at some of the lower-seeded teams that, if I was a Xavier fan, I'd be concerned about. I mean, you look at Texas having to play Colgate as a 15 seed as their first-round game. If I'm Texas, I'm wondering, how the hell did Xavier get Kennesaw State and we get Colgate? And no, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. There's a possibility at one o'clock on Friday, I'm going to be eating these words and Xavier's going to be a dogfight and I'm going to look stupid for saying this, but I'll be, <laughs> like, I just looking at the matchups, like Kennesaw State's best player is a stocky 6'5 wing shooter. I've, I've told Xavier fans, he kind of gets his points in the same way a guy like Trayvon Blewett did. He's not near the player Trayvon Blewett was, but that's kind of how they run through him, run him off screens, uh, do, do some floppy stuff with him. He's just going to come off and catch and shoot a lot of threes. He'll drive you and use his stocky body to kind of lean in and shoot some leaners and floaters and stuff. And I, what does Xavier have depth that in terms of de- on their defense? They have Jerome Hunter and Colby Jones 
uh, two really good wing defenders that are made to guard a guy like that. And they also have Desmond Claude who can slide down from the guard position with his length and size at six, five and guard a guy like that. So you have three defenders to match up with their best player. And then their big man is six, eight and slow footed and a a below the rim type guy. I mean, it doesn't seem like the type of guy that's really going to put a lot of stress on Jack Nungy in that front court without Zach Fremantle. I mean, yes, they have a small guard that's going to come off ball screens and try to drive you, but he he's 5'10", and he doesn't shoot the three very well. So at that point, I'm just not sure that Kennesaw State has what it takes to really scare Xavier or pull an upset on him. Yeah, and, and Xavier's going to get its points. It's got its points on everybody all year long, so it's going to score its points. That's that's the thing. Yeah. I, I think I, I've had people ask me about the Marquette game and, and the Big East final. I, I, I've i taken it as a kind of a, a one-off of, listen, you know, I, I've I've talked about the depth for a long time. I, I think now you're in the the part of the the season in the tournament where I, I think you're fine from a depth perspective. But I do think it caught up to them in game three. Yeah, of three, three games in three, three, three days. I think that was a big big factor. You're not playing three games in three days here, so I think you can get through this with with the depth as it is. So I, I mean, Xavier has literally scored on everybody and scored at times at will on everybody. I can't imagine they're not going to score at will on Kennesaw State. Yeah, the the underdog narrative to upset Xavier is you have a team that they can't guard because you're not as a mid-major, you're not going to stop Xavier's offensive attack with your defense this year. So you have to have an offense that is going to put Xavier's defense in bad situations, which you, which there are mid-majors out there who could do that. Xavier really struggles defensively. I just don't think Kennesaw state is one of them. No. And I, I, I like the bracket. I I, I really do. I know Texas is a chic pick for some people to win it all. Um, I'm not sure I'm going there. In fact, I think they're going to be in a dog fight with A&M in the second round. And I, I think A&M honestly has a legit shot to beat them. Um, I don't think a lot of Iowa state, they scuffled down the stretch and there's your three, six game. So I, I mean, I, I think this draw fell pretty good for Xavier other than what's in the top portion of the bracket, which is the Houston Cougars. Yeah. But I mean, look, if you can say we control the first two rounds, which is in my opinion, always the goal. Yes. The goal is to control your first two games by setting yourself up with a high seed during the regular season. And you hope you get a draw like this, where Xavier has a team in Kennesaw State that seems like a good matchup. And then if uh, Iowa State is the team that advances to the next round, I think you have to be pretty thrilled about that as a Xavier fan. I mean, are are they going to be a difficult game? Certainly. Do they have some athletic tough guards and they can defend all that? Certainly. But. I mean, in terms of a matchup, it's not one that I would say scares me as a right. Xavier fan. And then then if you get into the Sweet 16, then all bets are off. You just take it as it is there. Yeah, Texas is good, but they might not even make it. They have two difficult games. Texas A&M is one of the hottest teams in the country right now, as is Texas. So that could be a great second round game. I, I agree with you. I think Xavier ended up with a really fortunate draw here. Um, and the fact that they were a three seed instead of a four seed leans into that as well. Everything yeah, right. played out for Xavier about as perfectly as you could have expected, I think. So Rick, I, I and I, I think this happens a lot. I mean, I think once you get to the finals of a conference tournament, I think they've pretty much locked your seat. And I don't think the, the Marquette game made one iota difference for Xavier. Oh, yeah, like it clearly didn't because it, the only thing that could have done was hurt them, obviously. And, and it shouldn't have a neutral site loss to the team that won your conference. Shouldn't be a negative blemish on your resume. I wouldn't say. Yeah, right. Right. But, um, the more interesting thing is that I don't know that it was really the Creighton win that did it either in the semifinals. Yeah, I think not. they were probably a three seed going into the, the Big East tournament. I don't think the Big East tournament really had any impact on their seed as it well, other out. than the first game, yeah, other than the first game. Well, I don't know about that even. I mean, uh, it, it I, saved I, them, it saved them from dropping obviously, but yeah, it wasn't no, what moved them yeah. from a four to a three. Yeah, no, no, no. That's my point. I, yeah, I, I was talking about in terms of dropping. I think if they'd have dropped that first first game, they would have been in danger of being a four. Well, right, but I guess my my point was everyone had them as a four going into the Big East tournament, and I think it turns oh, out sure. that that wasn't correct unless no, right. unless the committee's decision to interchange them and UConn strictly had to do with location. They wanted to put UConn. I think they're in like Albany, so they wanted to put them in the Northeast and figured that was more advantageous to put them there as a four as opposed to putting them a three somewhere else, maybe. That's the only thing I can see potentially. Yeah, and and right or wrong, even though I think the metrics leaned UConn's way, I think the fact that Xavier swept them probably held some sway there as well. Well, and and that I argued that could have been the case all along. Right. Um, right. But then you had Tennessee too. You know that Xavier seemed to jump based on the the bracketologist well, projections versus what yeah. we actually got. But I'll be frank, and I know they don't take the last ten into consideration anymore. I, you got to look at Tennessee as is right now. And I don't care what the metrics say; they're not very good at the moment. And, and I, I think, say that when I'm going to pick them deep in this tournament, I think. 
Well, that's another interesting bracket too to, to look at. So, all right, let's look at Houston NKU real quick. The updates on Marcus Sasser, who injured his groin against Cincinnati in the semifinals of the American Athletic Conference tournament, seem to be pretty positive. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know what else they're really going to say. They're they're going to act like he's playing until the day of the game and then tell you he's not, maybe if if that's what it comes down to. But either way. Houston is just so tough and so good defensively. I think the big concern is how do you get Marquez Warwick free? I, I made the point. I, I talked to some, we were around Bengals beat writers yesterday talking to Jermaine Pratt and Lou Anaruma. We'll get to some Bengals stuff here in, here in a bit, but we were talking college basketball while we were waiting. And I just blurted out. I said, I, the, the, the number for me in this game is can NKU even get to 50 points? I, I think if honestly, Rick, I'm not trying to be flipping. I think it's gonna be, they're going to be very hard pressed to get to that number. Well, there might only be 55 possessions in the game entirely. Right, right. Both of these teams are going to play as slow as it can be. I mean, unless Houston just decides, hell, we're going to run these guys out of the gym and and start scoring here. But, like, for the most part, neither one of these teams ever want to push the pace. You know, NKU does play an interesting defensive style that could give Houston some trouble if Marcus Sasser isn't playing initially, if they come out and shoot tight early and, and are struggling. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if we're looking at, like, a, 30 to 19 score at halftime or something yeah, like no, that, that's, or maybe that even feels, lower. That feels about right. Yeah, yeah, that feels about right. I mean, this just feels like it's going to be a low-scoring game. But, you know, I, I was asked a couple days ago, I think it was on uh, – oh, no, it was yesterday on Tom Brenneman's show. He asked me about what NKU has to do if they're going to be in the game or have a chance at pulling the upset. And to me, I think it just comes down to what we saw at the end of the year when they were playing their best, which is, yeah, Marquez work is going to be good and he's going to be your leader – but you've got to get 10 to 15 out of Sam Vincent and get some big shots out of him. You've got to get Xavier Rhodes making some big threes and having some some plays off the, the bounce and making plays in the lane for you. You've got to get Chris Brandon playing at his highest level on the defensive end and on the glass and get a stick in or two, uh, maybe a lob pass, something like that. Like th- There has to be contributions from the other guys, not just Marquez Warwick. And I realize this is a, a one in a million shot as it is, but you're not going to have any shot if you don't get the production out of those guys. Uh, agreed. It, it, Cause I, I mean, you're not getting any second chance buckets. Right. Houston's going to probably get a handful of second chance buckets, if not more. I mean, it just honestly, of all these matchups, I know Alabama would have probably overwhelmed NKU with, with length and NBA yeah. ability. But I just think Houston's a nightmare matchup for them. I they just I, I I'm a huge fan of Houston's. I love the way they play. I loved Houston, and they would have been my pick to win it all until the Sasser groin right. injury. If he is not a hundred percent, that changes everything for them. But here's not, the thing. not in this matchup, but yeah, through the rest of the tournament. I mean, is he in the game like this on a as needed basis? And then they kind of look at the next round and go, all right, if we can get you 15 minutes, and then another week passes and he's ready for when when they get to the Sweet 16 and beyond. If he's struggling, honestly, if I'm them, I think I just sit him out. I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I'm i with you on that. With a groin injury that's so nagging like that, I don't think there's any advantage to playing him 10 or so minutes or or having him on the bench if needed. It's like either you start him and he's good enough to play or you just rest him for these first two games potentially. Yeah, and I'll be frank. I mean, I, I just don't see a good matchup for Iowa or Auburn against Houston, even without Sasser. Yeah, now I'd be a little bit more concerned in that second round game if they don't have Sasser. But I don't know. I they're really good, man. They're really tough. And and Jarris Walker is an NBA lottery pick, a freshman one and done that you still have even without Sasser. So it's right. like he's not their go to scorer, but he can be. He's going to be in the NBA next year. Yeah, I I I just I, I think that I think they survive these first two games with him either being limited or him being out. Yeah, I I, I don't I, think I don't know right. if they survive beyond that. Yeah, and and I would not have said that earlier because had I seen this bracket and they were at 100% health, they would have been my easy pick to go to the Final Four out right. of this region. Right. All right, Skinny, a couple other questions about the bracket at large. What's the double-digit seed that you like to pull off the first-round upset? I love them. I'm, I've, I've, I'm trying to speak truth to power on this. Even though I took Trace Jackson Davis in a player pool to score <laughs> points, I love Kent State. I've yeah. loved them since I saw them early in the year. Um, I was fascinated by the, the 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 Mac semis and the Mac finals. I'll be quite frank, Rick, and, and and you saw them play in person too. I'm not so sure Toledo's not one of the better at large teams. They didn't get it metric wise, but they get it eyeball wise. Um, I think they're really good. And Kent State blew their doors, didn't blow their doors off, but they beat them pretty handily. 
I, I think the Kent Indiana matchup is truly fascinating to me. It is for me too. And, you know, going back to last year where Kent state had a similar team and sincere carry their lead guard was their star player last year too. And there was kind of a narrative developing that in the biggest games for them, going back to last year's Mac championship, this kind of started sincere carry had a tendency to disappear. He didn't, play very well at all in last year's championship game and then there were a few games throughout this year their their game against Akron late in the year being one of them where it was you know the top two teams in the conference basically going at it and he didn't play very well and and Kent State got beat and I started to almost buy into that narrative and think man you know is there something about this guy that against the the better competition in big games where uh, teams do a good job of, of neutralizing him well, that wasn't the case this year in the MAC tournament. He led them to a championship, and he looked great doing it. And now, heading in the NCAA tournament, they are absolutely a team that I would not want to play as a protected seed. And the fact that they got Indiana, a team that seemed to be struggling anyways, heading into the postseason, that's got to be an upset favorite for a lot of people. Yeah, it probably is. And the other one, too, is, and maybe it's just because they played so poorly down the stretch, is another 13-4 game firm in Virginia. <laughs> That's the two I have listed, too. I couldn't agree more. Those are the teams I love. Fervin and Kent State are both great teams, and they got great matchups. Yep, no, I agree. It's like the new uh, 12-5 this year, the 13-4. Right, ex- yeah, so- exactly. Yeah, it'll be, be the new narrative. Of the, no one wants to play a 13 seed in the first round. Yep. No, you, you, hit, you hit it on the head, in my opinion. Those are the two games that I, I really think have a chance to, to see a big upset. Um, is there a it's, matchup? Hey, it's, not, it's not like Virginia's ever lost a big game as a favored seed before, right? Right. Well, I mean, they're always going to be a favorite for these types of upsets because they give you a chance. Right, right. They leave you in the game the whole time. Um, is there a matchup you love uh, that's not necessarily a big upset game, just one that stands out to you? Um, give me a second. I'm going to scan it. UK Providence is one for me. Well, we one. talked yeah, about it already, but to me, I think that's the most interesting first round game. Yeah, definitively. The eight nines are always good. I, I, I do like the West Virginia, Maryland one uh, a lot. Um, I had one just a second ago. I was looking at that. I, that I liked a lot. I, I don't like the TCU and the winner of the Arizona state of Nevada. I, neither one of those teams do anything for me. Um, no, not really. Uh, you know, I, if you're looking somewhere, I think Boise could upset Northwestern a 10 beating a, a seven there. Um, I don't like the 7-10 Michigan State-USC matchup. I don't like either one of the Missouri-Utah State matchup. There's some teams where I looked and went, gosh, they're at large, really? Ugh. No, I, I think the ones we just hit on. Do you have a couple? Uh, UK probably is the big I guess, one. I guess another 13-4 game, just because they've done it before and been a giant killer. Or actually, this is a 12-5 game, excuse me, is, is Oral Roberts and Duke. Yeah, I don't know. I just really like the Duke team right now. I, do I think too. they're rolling. I I've got them in a thing going to the final four. So yeah. <laughs> We're gonna talk about that in a second. Um the other game I like Memphis, Florida Atlantic. Oh, that's a yeah, you're right. That's it is a good one. Both of those teams play at a fast pace. They want to score. Florida Atlantic can really shoot the three. Memphis obviously has uh, Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams. They're gonna come downhill at you. They're athletic, they can really defend. So playing with confidence. Yeah, they're playing well right now. I I think that's going to be a fun game because I I could really see either team winning that one and then potentially being a a scary second-round matchup as well. Yeah, agreed. Um, All right, from a betting perspective, everyone likes to pick their final four, and you can give me your final four too, but I I don't really care that much about people's brackets and predictions. What What I am interested in is, are there any teams you like from a betting perspective to reach the final four. Yeah, meaning yeah I, I haven't looked at all value. the odds, but I, I saw this one yesterday. I have them in front of me if you have any and, questions. And it floored me. And and hopefully, I can't believe this is what their price is because I, I love their draw. I love the way they're playing. I love their talent level. They've got some pedigree. Gonzaga, I think, was 18 to 1. Is that right? To I win it all, probably. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm looking for final four picks. Um. That's still a pretty good value, probably. To yeah. Get they're four to one. Four to one to reach the final four. Nah, that's not as good a value as I thought I was going to get. What's what's you? UConn's in the same bracket. I think the they are also eight, that bracket is actually UConn versus versus Gonzaga. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I mean, Gonzaga and UConn are both four to one. You can get Kansas at three and a half to one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, like to me, it's just Kansas is the play in that region. Yeah, I, I think. Um. Arkansas at 14 to one is actually kind yeah, of like interesting that, too, because they, I, they well, Illinois, no other... Illinois is interesting too, because they're kind of like Kentucky when they're really good. They're good. 
Yeah, but here's the thing. I, I don't think either of those teams, like just looking at them, I'd be like, oh, they've got a, a great chance to make a run. But one thing about Arkansas that I don't think people are paying a lot of attention to is they just got an NBA first round pick, potentially a lottery pick back. Well, I don't even think it's potential. He's going to be a lottery pick. They're the only team in the country with two lottery picks. I'm not even sure if anyone else has first two first rounders Fair. in the okay. tournament right now. That's scary this time of year. Yeah, but man, they're playing they're playing so bad. But they just got him back too. I mean, if they for whatever reason after another week of practice start to get in a little bit of a rhythm and Illinois dicks around in that first round game, all of a sudden they start getting some momentum. I would not want to see Arkansas as a second round game. Yeah. Um and at, at 14 to 1 in that region, it's somewhat interesting, I think. What do you, believe it or not, just to get to the what is Kentucky? Well, that's another one that I, I would be interested in. Kentucky is 12 to 1 in the East region. I think the East region is wide open. I do too. I mean, what if you plunk money on Kentucky and Providence? Because I can see them either one of those busting their way to the final four. I can. Well, I really, Providence, gonna... Providence really has some value. They're 30 to 1 to get to the yeah. final four. Yeah. Because when I look at like the South, I honestly, and I hate to be chalky, chalky guy because I'm, I'm, I hate that. But sometimes it just stands out. I just don't see anybody beating Alabama. It's I Bama. Just, totally agree. You know, I yeah. Or, or if it's not that, if it's not Bama, then it's like, I mean, Arizona, you know, plus four twenty five. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I know. I, I, I don't want. I don't want that. That yeah. That's not as enough enough reward for risk. I was a little disappointed in Gonzaga. I think I'm going to take Gonzaga just to win it all. I'm, I'm going to say the hell with the final four. I'm going to take him an eighteen to one to win the whole damn thing. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, some of the other picks I like to come out of the regions. The one team that I, I think is is being undervalued right now is Duke. Agreed. What, what they are have they? the fourth they're, they're... best odds in the East at seven and a half to one. Ooh, now see, that's a juicy price for, for them. I, I would for agree. Duke. The teams, listen to the teams ahead of them right now, Skinny, which I know you know because you've seen the bracket, but Purdue is plus 220. Marquette right. is plus 400. And Tennessee is plus 425. Duke is plus 750 compared yeah, to those I, teams. Uh, you think Duke is has that much worse chances than Tennessee in that region? No, ag- agreed. And, and as much as I'm I'm kind of of the yolk of Tennessee is going to set the reset button and, and make a run through this. But listen, there's no question in that second round, it would not even be an ilk of surprise if Duke won that. And the way they played down the stretch, if they if they get these two and they would have two good wins under their belt to get to the Sweet 16, because Or Roberts will not be easy, in my opinion. And and then Tennessee likely in, in, in the second round. Um, that team at that point, playing the way they're playing with the talent level they have, to get them two more wins to get to the final four is not out of the realm by any stretch. And it's seven and a half to one. That's that, that's pretty good value. You're right. Well, and think of their Sweet 16 matchup. It's probably Purdue, Purdue who right. I think everybody agrees is ripe for the picking, especially if you have a team like Duke who has the size, length, athleticism, talent, all of that to match up inside with them. Yep. They have those young guards. I'd be very concerned about Purdue in that matchup. Or you potentially get Memphis or Florida Atlantic if they pull the upset against Purdue. So, I mean, like, either way, that Sweet 16 game sets up pretty well for Duke, assuming they beat Tennessee. And then at that point, the bottom half of the bracket, I mean, it's maybe Marquette coming out. That's who you've got in the Elite Eight? Yeah, Marquette or the Kentucky Providence winner. Right. I mean, maybe Kansas State. Like, any of those games in the bottom half you feel pretty good about. I think Duke really has some value at 7.5 oh, to 1. I, I think that's a that's a really good point. Yeah. The, uh, by, the, by the other way, one that's interesting, Skinny, is the Midwest region, real quick. You've got Miami at 14 to 1 and Xavier at 7 to 1, I think, with some value considering yeah, Sasser's injury. The only issue for Miami is their injury. True. That And, and that, that proved to be a big one in the ACC tournament. It did, but, man, they are talented. Their cards are really good. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, in the one bracket I did, I've got, I've got Drake and Kent State and Kent State going to the Sweet 16. I've seen a lot of people with that Drake upset. I think that's misguided. I think Miami is Miami's guards are really tough. I think they can scare some of the top seeds. And what did what was Xavier you said? Uh, Xavier was uh, seven to one. Yeah, I like that. I'll take that value then. What's A and M? A and M is eighteen to one. All right, so I'm going to put here's my money. Then I'm going to take take my my hundred dollars, and I'm going to put twenty five a piece on Gonzaga to win it all. A&M to go to the final four, Xavier to go to the final four. And I realize I'm going to cancel those two teams out, which I will gladly cancel one of them out. If they're playing each other, that means they're playing each other to get to the elite eight. So then I only need one more win to get them to the whole shebang. Um, and then uh, Duke, I think it's seven and a half to one. Yeah, I like that. All right. Anything else NCAA tournament bracket related you want to get to? 
No, I didn't. I didn't want to ask you because my 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 buddy and and I were watching some games on the phone together at the end of a, one of the games because he was trying to close a parlay, and it was Purdue, and we just laughed. At, I don't know if you watched them at all in the Big Ten tournament. I've never seen a team that's that's that high level of a team that handled a full court press any worse. It literally looked like when you watched the best AAU team in a, in a game where you're like watching those weekends against the poor little weakling AAU team. That's like. Oh, coach, just call the press off. Please call the press off. Please, please, please. They were horrifyingly bad against pressure. That's the thing about this Purdue team is they have freshman guards, right? And they're not like big, talented, athletic freshman guards. They're they're solid. They can shoot a little bit, but these are not, you know, big time playmakers that are breaking you down. And all of a sudden you get into those late game situations where you've got length and athleticism pressuring these freshmen. That's scary in a tournament scenario. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's going to be their downfall. All right, let's move on to Bengals and some NFL free agency talk, Skinny. Uh, Bengals fans got some tough news on Monday as they found out that the team had lost both Jesse Bates and Von Bell on the same day. Bates agreed to a four-year, $64 million deal to play with the Falcons, and Bell is headed to the Panthers on a three-year deal worth $22.5 million, of which $13 million is guaranteed. That wasn't it for the Bengals, though. It was also announced on Monday that the team will re-sign linebacker Jermaine Pratt for three years at $21 million. Let's start there before we get to some of the other moves that happened later in the week. How big of a blow is this to the Bengals' defense to lose both starting safeties? Yeah, we talked to Lou Anarumo yesterday, and, and I wrote a piece in the headline. I used the word pragmatic. He's pretty pragmatic and stoic and, and made a point of, we'll just go get another veteran and put him in, and we're going to do what we do. And I think I did ask him point blank. I said, hey, the outside noise was the belief that Jesse wasn't coming back, and he was kind of nodding his head. And I said, but the belief then was you guys were going to re-sign Vaughn. You know, are you, were you surprised? And, and he didn't use the word surprise, but – you know, he was flowering his praise of those guys. But I, I think I think he was a little surprised by the Vaughn one. But, you know, at the end of the day, Vaughn got guaranteed money in year two of the contract. And that's just not something the Bengals do. They're, they're going to give you a signing bonus, but they're not going to guarantee a salary in a, in, a, in a second or third year and beyond. They just don't do that. It's why they're really good at managing the cap. People don't have to like it, but they are really good at managing the cap. And I don't mean frugally. I mean, handling the cap very well to be able to spend and pay for the right players. So I, 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 I do think... Getting Jermaine Pratt back in lieu of Bell does give them a guy who is a really good communicator. And as Lou said, and I thought it was really well said, and I think it's why you can soften this blow a little bit, where he, somebody asked about the safeties and their communication, and you know, you're losing two guys. And he said, yeah, but he talked about Jermaine. And he said, now it's going to be Jermaine communicating to those guys and not those guys communicating to Jermaine. And I think – it, it's Jermaine's time to maybe step up and be that communicator more than Avon Bell, Jesse Bates on the back end. But there's no, there's no glossing over the fact you're losing two key cogs on your defense. At the same time, you're still getting nine starters back on this defense. That's pretty damn good, in my opinion. And you were always going to plug Dax Hill into one of the safety spots. So now there's a lot of free agent safeties. Go get another veteran, a younger veteran. I think age might've played a little bit of a role in this too. Vaughn's going to, turn 30 and into year two of the contract. And maybe they decided to get out from under faster um, and, and, and are looking at something a little bit younger and a little bit cheaper to plug into that spot. Obviously time will tell whether the move turns out to be the right one, but to the other point, this isn't the Bengals of five or six years ago where you were welcome to question moves. I mean, I think this this group, at least of late has earned the benefit of the doubt of the direction they're going in. And I, I know everybody's freaking out right now. Uh, um, just there's always another wave of free agency that comes and you look up and that's when they signed Von Bell the last time, you know, I don't know if Von Bell was on a lot of people's radars at that point. And hell, you weren't even sure if he was still a, a very good player and he turned out to be great. And I'm going to guess they'll find the Von Bell replacement. I really believe that. The way people were talking about Von Bell when the Bengals signed him, I thought he was already 29 or 30 years old right. at that point. I didn't right. realize he was so young when they signed him the first time because people were talking about him like his career was almost over. And uh, sure enough, he had some good years left, and now he's getting another deal out of it. I, I, I'm not freaking out by any stretch of the imagination. No, I'm not saying I, you, but I know there's a no, lot I know, of people freaking out. But I just want to be clear before I ask you this question because I think the, the thing that raised my eyebrows was – Okay, like you said, I'm expecting one of the two safeties back, Von Bell, and expecting Jermaine Pratt to leave when it seemed like they prioritized Pratt and let Bell go. I started, you know, my mind started turning. I was like, well, why would that have happened? And the conclusions I came to were 
the two things that you laid out, which were that Bell got two years of his contract guaranteed, that $13 million guaranteed. And I assumed the Bengals didn't want to guarantee him that second year. So I assumed Pratt was more affordable. And then also I wondered if the age factor had something to do with it. Hey, Jermaine Pratt's 26 years old and Von Bell's only 28, but in football, that does make a little bit of a difference if you're talking about, you know, bringing Jermaine Pratt back for three years potentially and keeping that core group together. Whereas maybe Von Bell only has one or one and a half more good years to give you. And you really won't want him for two years of guaranteed money or something like that. So is that what you really saw as the biggest reasons for, for prioritizing Pratt over bell or, or maybe not prioritizing him, but that's the way it looked from the outside. Yeah. And, or both those guys got that same offer. First one to take it's it. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's the money we have. We're bringing back one of you guys because we want the continuity, but we really don't care which one it is. No. Right. I mean, if you told me on Monday that there was going to be a move involving Von Bell and Jermaine Pratt, I would have said, yeah, they re-signed Von Bell and Jermaine Pratt signed a one-year prove-it deal elsewhere because remember his whole mantra was wanting to play on third down, right? And it felt like for all the world, he was going to go sign with somebody to prove he could be a three-down linebacker. Um, Instead, he talked yesterday about wanting to win. And I even asked him specifically about, did you talk to Lou about an increased role on third down. And he said, no, not really. Uh, you know, things will work themselves out. I think I've proven I can be a three down linebacker. So, you know, he got money he wanted. I think he feels comfortable with the money. And there's no question. He feels this team has a shot to win a Super Bowl. I think that's why you saw that emotional outburst for him after the Kansas City game. Yeah. He who was he screaming at? I forget. Uh, Joseph Osai. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and How I does do Joseph think, Osai feel about the signing of Jermaine Pratt? Did anyone ask him that? He he did apologize the next day. In fact, we <laughs> talked to him about it. And I even asked him that next day uh, in the Bengals locker room about, do you want to come back? And he said, yeah, I do. I, I think we're going to win. I want to be with a winner. And, and I think that was where you saw the emotion of him after Kansas City, where he thought it might have been his final game with the Bengals. And he was this close to going to a Super Bowl and maybe winning one. And now he's going to have to start over. Well, I think he made it pretty clear yesterday that I think some of this factor of him staying was he wants to win a Super Bowl and feels he's on a team that can do that. I tell you what, him re-signing with the Bengals really does bring that whole thing full circle and make it easy to believe that that outburst was about him being upset that he maybe missed his window to win here. Yes. No, I think it absolutely was. I mean, in all honesty, like he said that at the time, it's kind of like, okay. I mean, that's a good way to play it from a PR standpoint, but him re-signing here and, and taking that offer, it kind of does suggest that, Man, he was really upset about the fact that he felt like he was moving on and he missed his opportunity, maybe. Yeah, no, I think so. All right. On Tuesday, Skinny, it was reported that the Denver Broncos had signed or will sign Samaj P. Ryan to a two-year $7.5 million deal. And also on Wednesday, as we're recording this this morning, it was announced that Hayden Hurst had agreed to a deal with the Panthers. What do you make of those two deals for two guys who were, I would say, a big part of the offense this year, but also not the big names on this offense. No, correct. I, I, th- that P. Ryan money seemed to me to be what would have been in the Bengals' wheelhouse. I think I, I wrote in some of the free agency pieces about, you know, if he could get P. Ryan back, I think I even said two years of 7 or $8 million, um, I think I would do it. I, I'm a little surprised that either they didn't, didn't come with that offer um, or – you know, maybe they really are going to bring Joe Mixon back. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that fact when you can save and and do some other things. Now, there are some free agent running backs still on the market. I know Jamal Williams' name is, was was mentioned. Yeah, how real one. do you think that is? Because I keep seeing I, people bring that up. I, I do. I think it is real. I think it's more real now. Um, but I think if they do bring him in, I think at that point, that's where Mixon goes. Um, as we're recording this podcast, I, I, I understand Travion Williams may have re-signed. It, again, if you have a running back room, and I'm just surmising, of, of Jamal Williams, Travion Williams, uh, Chris Evans, and a rookie, they're going to draft a rookie in somewhere in the mid-rounds, a rookie mid-rounder. I think you, I've said it, I think you can get by with running back with committee in this offense. This is a Joe Burrow offense. This is not a Joe Mixon offense. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I am not worried about the running back situation very much at all. It just I, feels I, like... The only thing I'm worried about is if you if you leave Joe Mixon on this roster when you could save... Some yes. pretty good good money for for some extension stuff, and again, it can still happen. It doesn't, you know, it it doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. I, I would agree. I do not want them to bring Joe Mixon back for that money. I would like to see them move on because, like you said, I just don't really care that much who's the running back in this offense. I Agreed. think it's kind of the same way I feel about the tight end situation. Quite honestly, like was what was Hayden Hurst good this year? 
yeah, he was fine, but was like CJ Uzama was fine the year before that. And I don't think that much of CJ Uzama either. I don't know that it matters all that much who the tight end is, unless you're getting like a game breaking tight end in this offense. And I don't know that it makes that much sense to sense to spend either draft capital or money on a big name tight end. Yeah, no, I, I think you spend some draft capital in this draft, um, but but that would be third roundish, fourth roundish guy that's a backup, and you go sign the Hayden Hurst of this year. I I think it's it's proven to be kind of a plug and play spot for them. I mean, even Drew Sample the year that Uzama got hurt um, was was productive enough. He wasn't great, great, but I think he had forty catches in in, in CJ's absence. CJ came back and was productive enough. And honestly, as much as we love Hayden Hurst's toughness, and he was fun to watch after the catch, and he brought some attitude and some things that you really like. I mean, 51 catches for 400 yards. You can't find that somewhere. Right. And I wrote that about Uzama after I, I, I threw Uzama's numbers out there. And I said, you can't find that somewhere. You can. You absolutely can. Yeah. I mean, people were legitimately worried about losing CJ Uzama. How that yeah, I was out? not in that camp. And again, as much as listen, Hayden Hurst was a, was a nice, that was a great signing. It worked it out great. Good. It worked out great for both parties. He got a one year prove it deal. And to his credit, he proved it. And somebody's paying him for it. The Bengals are not going to prioritize paying that position. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know why? Because the Bengals are the best place in the world to be on a prove it deal as a tight end. Right. Joe right. Burrow is going to make you a viable option the next that's, year. That's correct. That's a great point. All right, let's get to a couple of NFL rule proposals that were brought up. The NFL's competition committee will consider making roughing the passer penalties and personal foul penalties subject to video yes. review. Yay. Yeah, so you like those? I, I was going to I, I do. Yeah, I love I'm sorry I shouldn't have cut you off because I know there's another one you want to get to. Go ahead. No, ahead. Uh, no, I mean those are really the big two that I wanted to start with. Well, um, I, I well, I want to get to the 4th and 20 as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, but yeah, okay. let, let, let's st start with the penalties because uh, that were the, the two big questions and the two real big changes I think you could see is the roughing the passer and personal foul penalties being able to be reviewed. I, in theory, I like this concept, but skinny, how often do we go to review and you look at Twitter and you got a bunch of people complain about it and then other people and, and maybe a rules analyst on TV being like, well, no, by the letter of the law, that's correct. And it's like, I mean, honestly, you, you talk about it all the time. How many reviews do we have well, to have per game? This just seems like it's going to make it even worse. So, so yeah, to Rick, to that point, if you want to do away with replay entirely, I am 1000% on board with that and have been, but as long as we have review, I do think this is one, and I think they have to have more subjectivity to it, especially a guy that that literally makes a form textbook tackle, right, where he's got the quarterback, he's hit him in his chest, he's taking him to the ground. You can't help but land on him. That should not be a personal foul. Now, taking your helmet and driving your helmet into him as he's on the ground, sure, absolutely. And there's other forms of, of roughing the passer that we know about, whacking him in the head cutting his knees. I mean, we, we know what it looks like. It doesn't look like some of the times that roughing the passer is called when all you have done is taken the guy form tackled him to the ground. And I'm sorry, it's a quarterback and I'm sorry, Susie landed too hard. You know, that, that's, that, that's, that's part of the game, man. And again, I know you're trying to protect quarterbacks at all costs, but that's not it to me. I think those are the ones that if you're going to get to the subjectivity level of that for officials, review that and say, all he did was make a form tackle. Yeah. It might've hurt, but it was a complete legal form tackle. That's not roughing the passer. I don't disagree with you there. And I see infuriating personal fouls and roughing the passer calls all the time. My concern is, do you really believe that the refs are going to be able to review this and assess it in a way that we're going to agree with then? Because I, all the time I hear like uh Dean Blandino or someone get on as the rules analyst and be like, oh, no, letter of the law. They got this one right. And everyone in the world is looking at it and saying on social media, this is a terrible call. So it's like, I don't know that this is going to make us any more content with the officiating in the NFL. And it is going to lead to more reviews. Well, and, and for the record, these are only proposals. These have not right. been voted on yet, have not been been written into law. Uh, again, I would like a further discussion on that of of. What constitutes roughing the passer? And let's take the guy just making tackle and getting him on the ground as a roughing the passer. Because that, those are the ones that are infuriating to me to watch. Totally agree. But the the the, the one where it's the you, you came down with too much force or too much body yes, weight is yes. inexplicable to me. I don't even understand what that I means don't at this point. I don't either. All other proposals that were brought up include an option to try to convert a fourth and 20 from the kicking team's 20-yard line instead of attempting an onside kick. So end-of-the-game situation, you're trying to make a comeback, you just scored a touchdown, you need another score or two to get back in the game. You would now, 
based on this proposal, it's not something that's been approved, but you would have the option to, instead of trying an onside kick, you get a fourth and 20 from your own 20 yard line. Skinny, do you like that concept? I like the fourth and 15 better. It's a little more realistic. And I know you're saying, well, it's only five more yards, but man, five yards of anything. That's why everybody gets all upset when a team runs it on second and 13. It's like, why are you running there? Well, you're trying to get it to third and less than 10. You got a lot more stuff in the playbook that gets you 10 yards and doesn't get you 15. 15 takes a long time to develop. It's not easy to do. Uh, um, I, I, I don't mind it. I do like the onside. I like the old onside kick. I know they did it for safety reasons. They've changed it, uh, et cetera. But the way the onside kick rule is now, it's so, so stinking hard for the offensive team or the kicking team to recover it. It happens, not much. Um, it's so hard, though, that I, 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 I'm good with this rule. I, 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 it's hokey. But I don't mind. I've watched it a couple of times in the XFL. They're doing fourth and 15, if I'm not mistaken. But I've watched it a couple of times and it's kind of fun to watch. So I didn't even know the XFL was doing this. I was actually going to say this feels very XFL to yes. me. And, yes. and I'm not against it because I think it's a fun role. And look, if the whole concept is we're concerned about player safety, the onside kick wasn't really good for that. It's going to get guys injured. So we're taking that exciting part of the game away. I think it's probably logical to add in a more exciting play in place of it. I, I think that makes sense, but it does feel very much of just like willy nilly. We're doing something goofy to make the game fun and it's XFL ish. But, but I, I don't necessarily think you shouldn't do it just because of that. That's just how it feels at this point. Yeah. I, I will say, I mean, there was a lot of pushback a few years ago when they moved the extra point back and everybody said, it's, oh, it's, not, it's not going to matter. And I wrote that. Yeah, it is going to matter. In fact, statistically, you probably should go for two based on, Here's the number of field goals that were missed from that range the year before that the statistics and analytics would show you going for two is probably more well worth it, but it has made excitement into a play that it literally had no excitement to it. It was literally, you score a touchdown and then you could go do your bathroom break. Now you're like, gosh, our guy's struggling from there. We got to see if he makes it because this point could matter. It's, it's cost the Bengals in the first game of the year. Right? No, exactly. Right. Also, the Eagles are asking that the competition committee consider allowing players to wear number zero skinny. Do you care about that at all? I do what I don't. One of my favorite players um, back when I was growing up and watching the, the actually the end of the AFL into the early merger years that tells people how old I am. If they don't know already, one of my favorite players was a guy for the Oakland Raiders who was a center named Jim Otto. You can go look him up and Jim Otto's number was double O and it was just so cool. I don't know why I thought that was cool, but to see a center double O Jim Otto with first name, first letter zero, last letter zero and the number double zero on front. That was always cool to me. So, yeah, if you want to go back to that, I'm good with I don't mind zero as a number. I can't wait. Who's going to be the first player that's agent zero? <laughs> There's going to be one. You know, I mean, someone's going to get that number when it's allowed and they're going to come out. And that's going to be like their whole branding thing is going to be yes. around that. Yes. <laughs> It'll be like uh, Gilbert Arenas back in the day. Uh, and finally, Skinny, the Lions proposed allowing teams to designate an emergency third quarterback from their inactive list or practice squad who would be eligible to enter a game if the first two quarterbacks on the active list are ruled out. This is something we talked about during the season this year. Yes. It should be allowed. Yeah, and I, I I, guess I'm confounded as to why not, other than I guess you don't want to pay a third check to a, a third game check to a guy that's most likely not going to play. Mm, they can get but- over that. Exactly. I, I'm with you. I mean, this used to be the rule that you had a third guy as the emergency quarterback and he could only play if the other two guys got hurt. And then he had to stay in the rest of the game. Let's, let's just say that quarterback one had a miracle recovery. You couldn't put quarterback one back into the game unless this emergency guy got hurt. So he was literally in for the rest of the game. I think it's it's a it's almost a no. About a, that's a no brainer, in my yeah. opinion. You want to like, go who back is, who is against this other than owners who don't want to pay money? Right. And it's it's a game check for a guy that's probably on the practice squad. And like they did with with Jake Browning towards the end of the year, they got him a couple of game checks as a pat on the head. All right. So you're paying an extra 13 game checks to a guy making minimal money. I don't, I don't think it's that big of an ask. No, I don't either. I think it just makes sense. It's good for your sport. First of all, you don't want to be in a situation where a team doesn't have a quarterback. Yeah, or has that's Christian just McCaffrey bad for your taking, product. Taking direct snaps. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's get into some ask skinny anything here. Does Skinny have a favorite NCAA tournament memory? Oh, for sure. I mean, I I, I was in attendance for the one of the great upsets of all time, the Villanova over Georgetown at Rupp Arena. I was in college. Um, that, no question. That was that is a no brainer for me. That 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 final was just surreal to be a part of and to watch. And and that Georgetown team was so stinking good. Um, so darn talented 
and and Nova was just they they I've just the perfect game plan and it was it was so much fun to watch. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't there for this, but obviously the NC State upset a couple years prior to it uh, was was fun to watch on TV. But as, as far as being there, uh, that game to me was just absolutely spectacular. That's a good one. Uh, the NCAA tournament hasn't even started playing, and those other not dancing players are already announcing their moves to other schools. What's your thought on this, Skinny? So I heard this number yesterday, and I can't remember what it was, Rick. Maybe you can help me with this. It was like triple digit guys that have already hopped into the portal. Is that right? Oh yeah. Just yesterday there were like over 200 guys that jumped yeah, in. Yes. Yeah. Um, listen, that's the day and age we live in, man. I mean, first one in to the portal gets maybe his choice of schools. Cause they're looking at the portal every day going, Oh, Freddie's in. Well, let's get Freddie uh, on the phone and, and see if Freddie wants to No, I, but do you have a problem with, I think to this asker's point, do you have a problem with, Instead of the story being March Madness and what's oh, going I on with these games, the story becoming so-and-so is hearing from this school and that school, and he just committed to that school, and now it becomes like everyone's talking about what big transfers are available instead of focusing on the tournament. Yeah, I, I, I get the point. I, I still think everybody's focusing on the tournament. I, I think that's an ancillary product, especially it, that's probably a program that's that that you're talking about that's maybe not even in the tournament. And that that's what they need to talk about. I think for the rest of the teams in the tournament, it's more about the tournament. Now, listen, your 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 uh, your recruiting, your fans who are just fall in love with recruiting, um, you know that that group that segment of fan base is going to be all over it. And that's fine. That's a small. It honestly is a small segment of the fan base. It really well, is. I think the fans of the teams that are in the tournament get frustrated. Because everyone is so concerned about the portal nowadays. They see these other schools who aren't participating. They're adding guys or making moves in the portal already. And they feel like they're falling behind because they got to wait a week or two because their team's focused on the tournament and they're on the road and that type of thing. And I would say, look, it's like being in the NBA or the NFL where the worst teams get to draft first. They need the help the most. They need to start working on the roster early. And by the way, the reason that they're in the position they're in is probably because they do this type of thing every year and they go to the portal and they pluck a couple of guys who are mercenaries and don't really care about winning. And then they end up back in the same situation next year. So if you're worried about having to get a late start on the portal because you're in the NCAA tournament, I wouldn't worry about it. You're in the better spot and you probably will be next year too. Yeah, and not all these guys in the portal are committing to teams that are not in. They're they're going to wait for their options too. Going, hey, I'd like to go to Kentucky. I'd like to go to Kansas. I'd like yeah. to go to the best opportunity. And maybe the team that's in the tournament's got five dudes that are leaving. That's going to be my best opportunity. So try, try, they're looking at that scenario too. They're not just jumping it. Hey, uh, Cal Fullerton has three spots, and boy, I think I, yeah, I'll go there. No, that's not happening. And I know no one wants to hear this because we believe that like. NFL coaches sleep in their offices and stuff during the season, all that. And they're so maniacally focused on their game plans that it it matters like that. But these guys are capable of multitasking. Yes. Assistant coaches are texting guys in the portal and communicating with them. They're still recruiting. It's not like you're completely missing out on it. Most of these guys are not making their decision until the tournament is over, or at least, you know, the second or third weekends of the tournament where you'll have plenty of time throughout the next week or two to reach out to them, they could even visit campus if they want. I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world if you're in the tournament and missing out on these couple of days of transfer portal. Yeah, it's a legit good question. It's a good question. I, I just I just I think I still think the focus is on on the tournament. It's the focus on the tournament, and it's not something worth worrying about because I know there are people out there who feel like they're at a disadvantage because they're playing in the tournament for some right. reason. That's right. that's not the case, I promise. Uh skinny, if you could have a hard knock style show for any college sports team, who would you pick? Hmm. Alabama right now. I, I, well, so Basketball. it's funny. Uh, I was watching. I woke up at like 430 in the morning, couldn't sleep. I don't know why. So I got up. I'm just flipping around. I, I ended up turning on ESPNU and they had a show called SEC Inside. And part of it was a look at the Missouri, Alabama uh, SEC tournament game, kind of a behind the scenes look. And uh, yeah, I think I, I to me, though, it wouldn't just be because of this Alabama. I, I, to me, Alabama football hard knocks with with an unfiltered Nick Saban would be off the charts. Can, seriously, can you just imagine what he's like? I would love to find out because, like JJ Reddick's podcast has been very good. Not for me, it's not about the NBA stuff that he does or talking to the players that he gets on. It's him giving stories about Coach K now that Coach K is retired. Oh, I'm telling stories about Coach K as a coach and how like just 
mean he was essentially when he was insulting players and the types of things that he would say to them is just insane to hear. I bet Nick Saban is very similar where he's so, just like the things he says are thought out and cutting. So I had a, a friend of mine, a coach who worked Nick Saban's football camp every year, might still do it, to be honest with you. And he told me that, you know, you, you think you're down there working these camps, right? You're a, you're a high school or a, a lower level college coach. And it's it's a nice little extra paycheck and you're getting to work with some some high school dudes who, you know, it's just it's fun to, to get some hands on. I know if any coach worth the salt loves those kind of things and loves practice. Right. But Saban literally took it to another level. They had to like write a nightly report on each of the guys they worked with. I mean, <laughs> you talk about maniacal attention to detail. Yeah, that I mean, that's just that's definitely a different breed of human. No, there's question. no way I have any Nick Saban DNA in me like yeah. that, that that man is so different same thing with coach K they're just they are just different species or a hard knocks Michigan just because Harbaugh's on such a crazy train oh that would be good is there like a renegade pro well well Will Wade at McNeese State would probably be pretty interesting now <laughs> yeah yes I'm trying to be. think of who's like the biggest renegade that would be interesting to follow yeah, I don't. Yeah, Chris Beard's not a renegade. Chris Beard just had some issues. No, I, think, I don't I, really I think, want to see I, anyone beating up on their family either. Yeah, I, I do think Chris Beard's going to be a home run hire for Ole Miss, though. To be oh, honest, of course, with you. of course. Uh, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I'm going to go with the two football guys. I think either Saban or Harbaugh, just because of Saban's maniacal attention to detail, and because Harbaugh is just he, he's just so nuts. All right, I like both of those answers. If you had to choose between living in a world with no internet or no air conditioning, which would you pick? Absolutely, unequivocally, no internet. I can live without. I've lived. You'd like that, folks. wouldn't you? I've lived without, folks. Trust me. I lived. I lived a big chunk of my life without, and you know what? It was just fine. Yeah, How about you? Is, this is a tough one for me, man, because I I don't know that I could live without air conditioning. I I'm a big AC guy. I like it real cold. I mean, it was 65 in my hotel room last night, so. I like to keep it cold year round. Oh, dude, on the road, on the road. When I'm on the road, I, I'm the same way. I put that bad boy to 65. I get underneath every sheet that's in that thing, and I get the best night's sleep in the history of the planet. Yeah, so I, I think I don't think I could live without the air conditioning. And I think maybe if there was no internet for anyone, I would like it more if I didn't know it existed. But right. now that I'm used to the internet, I really don't know. I mean, like, I wouldn't have a job if I didn't have the internet. So I don't really, I don't want to be like an old school newspaper journalist. I like doing my job on the internet. I like being able to do podcasts. I like Twitter spaces. I no. like the opportunity that it provides. There would be no like insider Xavier coverage in the year 2023 if there was no internet. Yeah, there would be. You'd have a newsletter. That's what they used to do back in the day. It'd be a newsletter form. Uh, people didn't, there wasn't, there wasn't the way to get it out and get people subscribed. Like you wouldn't have, you know, a, over a thousand people subscribed to a Xavier newsletter where they're paying a monthly fee for it. And you had like oh, an easy distribution where it would be cost effective. I don't know, man. Uh, they're, they're just, well, I mean, look, the, the whole like 24 seven sports and team sites and all that stuff didn't exist until the internet. And there's a reason for that. Like yeah, cat's but paws existed, but that was like for Kentucky and Kentucky only. It was only the biggest programs. Yeah. And it made a fortune. Yeah, but only for the biggest programs. I, I just right. don't think there was the way to maybe. have these niche businesses that maybe. there are online now. Yeah, maybe. But again, if it never existed, I don't think I would have a problem with it either. I'd probably love the fact that there was no internet. So, yes, you would. Tough trust to say. But just having it ripped away from us now, like if we had to just choose, pull one from us now, it, it, I, mean, I just sh I'd say shoot me. I it, really it, wouldn't want to live without either. It, yeah, it would be quite a uh, quite a turnabout i've i've thought of that myself like i said i i made a living and i uh i lived without internet for a long chunk of my life and you know what just fine but there is an ease of convenience to it there's no question Could about you imagine that. having to carry cash for everything oh um, I, I still do oh disgusting yeah well better than having money wrapped up in bitcoin my friend I, I think I took a stance. I think I took a stance on that a long time ago. You, you won on the gold standard. I'll give you that. You won on that. <laughs> Feel bad uh, about that for those that, that that took a took a took a beating, but yeah. Skinny, I have no idea if you'll have an answer to this based on okay. the last question we just asked. Sure. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever bought online? Um, boy. have you ever bought anything online? Um, me personally, aside from a subscription to something, probably no. It's funny you say I'm trying to think if I have bought anything online. 
I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I, I maybe, maybe I'm dumb for never having bought anything online. I, I'm not an eBay guy. I, yeah, any clothes item I go purchase or honestly, I've got so much logoed stuff from my, all my coaching stuff that, that fills my closet with a lot of things. Um, whenever I go to buy like tennis shoes, I, I either go to the Adidas tent sale at Turfway Park or go to a Dick's or something and get it. No, I dress shoes the same way. I'm not sure I've bought anything that I say that in a household where it feels like the Amazon prime or the target people are dropping something on our doorstep every day. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. What's going on with that? Like, do how I don't even know when my wife is ordering stuff yet. Right. Somehow every single day a package shows up. Yes, correct. That's kind what, of how what, what's going on. We, we're together most of the day. We both work from home. I see her all the time. I never see her on Amazon ordering stuff yet. Every single day we get a package. How does that work? It did because it, it, she's she maybe she's really quick at it, dude. She's really they're just like sneaking it. it on their phone or something. I guess correct. Correct. I hate to be the guy that answers this question in such a dumb fashion, but I'm not sure I ever purchased anything other than a subscription to something online. Honestly, I think that might have been what people were looking for here. I think they wanted to know, has Kenny actually bought anything online? Well, I, I, well, I take it back. I did have to purchase my ticket for, although actually my wife did it for me. I had to purchase my ticket for the ninth region tournament online. Well, yeah, that, that is a pretty ridiculous purchase there, I guess. Yeah, dumbest, it wasn't the, dumb, was, the dumbest thing you've dumb. ever bought online was a ticket to the ninth region tournament. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, it was no, also that, the smartest thing you've ever bought. Online. It was a great game. It was a 44 42 game on a last second shot. So it was actually a really smart buy. Yeah, yeah I, I, if that's a, if that's the answer my man was looking for or whoever that asked the question, you got the answer you wanted. I, I <laughs> have never really other than a ticket or a subscription bought anything online. And that's the truth. All right. There you go. That's it. That's all I got this week. All right. Enjoy the NCAA tournament. Uh, first couple of weekends, we will be back next week to look at the Sweet 16. And hopefully a couple of locals are still alive in that as we look ahead. We'll have Bengals free agency talk as well. And we will inch closer to opening day where Joey Votto has been in the lineup for a couple of times. Is he back by opening day? We'll talk about that next week and much, much more. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Mortgage.